Welcome to the Texas Oil and Gas Podcast, the show dedicated to bring you the news from the oil patch deep in the heart of Texas with your host, Ryan Ray and Josh Shelton. And we're back with the Texas Oil and Gas Podcast. We appreciate you tuning in. This is episode 190. 190. I'm your host, Josh Shelton, my friend and co-host, Ryan Ray. Ryan, we're nearing episode 200. What are we going to do? Uh, you going to let... Uh, let the host watch the co-host jump into the cold river again or what's what's the plan i don't know i don't know you know we need uh you know we need to do something i suppose of course you know with the crazy world we're in it's hard to make any plans right now so you know it's uh yeah so what we got 11 more weeks that'd be right around the time we do our four-year anniversary show right a three-year anniversary what is it four four year my goodness that's crazy yeah nuts four-year anniversary yeah, it's, it feels like you know we're at, we're at two hundred ninety one five stars. I think I looked this morning, so we need to get to three hundred. We need to have a hundred more five stars than we do episodes. Yeah. It feels like it's a good ratio. Yeah. So uh, go ahead and get that knocked out for us on iTunes, and we'd appreciate it. So uh, yeah, we got Sergio coming on today. So he hasn't been on uh, in what two weeks? You know, he kind of boycotted us for a while, so it's good to get him back on the show. Yeah, is he gonna be shooting a video from uh, his big and leather seats? Uh, working at bloomberg or, or i don't know i don't know that's a good point he might be he might be so so ryan we got uh we got several stories there's some news going around right now about new mexico so hmm. there's a 60 i think a 60 day ban on um federal land frac uh permits yeah yeah permit permitting federal land uh for the next 60 days and people are worried concerned in new mexico that this might um have a big toll on their economy you know that they're they rely heavily on the taxes garnered from these oil and gas companies so we're just kind of watching the, the the new mexico market to see how it responds to this well it's funny because we've covered the new mexico politics several times on this podcast and you know for a while they were kind of anti and gas and they came back to the pro and gas they've kind of just been all over the map but as i pulled up here josh um you know Biden won in Mexico in 2020, um, all five of the electoral votes, and he got basically a hundred more thousand votes than Trump did. Okay, so a hundred thousand more votes. He got 501, Trump got 401, so right at a hundred thousand um, more votes. Now, Biden's votes came in, you know, the, the, the northern part of the state, Trump's more rural parts of the state, what you would expect. So this is, you know, there's a couple of problems here. One, do people in Albuquerque or Santa Fe, by and large, care what happens in the southeastern part of the state? Probably not. But then, aside from that, maybe those people in Albuquerque and Santa Fe would be okay with the, with the with the fracking going on. Um, but then you have the federals in D.C. who are who are controlling this. And so, you know, these are questions that, as our society moves forward, we we have to start taking a little bit more seriously. We've kind of thrown out these things of federal lands and who's in control and you know this that and the other and. I think, you know, now you're starting to see that this is a potential impact that could you know, really cost the state of Mexico. Um, I don't know what percentage of the Mexico drilling is BLM land, but I, I think it's pretty substantial. I don't think it's a lot of private land out there, right? No, I've, I've seen maps and I mean, you take the BLM out, right? that pretty much ends the Permian Basin on the Mexico side for sure. Right. And, and from what I understand, the better acreage is over there too. I'm not, mm-hmm. yeah. you could refer to me about that, but so, okay. So you say, what are you to do now? Here's the thing. Here's the good news. I think potential good news. 
um, is that you have Biden canceled or revoked, revised the executive order for the Keystone pipeline permit on his first day in office. Okay, and now he's done this. This is a temporary thing. The Keystone thing, I don't think he'll ever go back to. I think that's kind of done. You know, if, they, if they're going to get it done, they have to work from uh, a different perspective. This, though, maybe it's just a soft pedal to the left. And so he can do it. 60 days goes by. The person he wants to get in for the, it's the Department of Interior, I believe, um, they come in and then they can start slowly ramping this back up. That is one possibility. It could be that this is a four-year permanent process or a hit and miss deal, depending on how he feels about it. But um, you take that. So we'll, we'll see. Is what I'm saying. I'm not. I'm not entirely convinced. It's a. It's a full four-year deal. Maybe it is. Maybe it's not. I don't know. I know people kind of have strong opinions on that. Um, Biden is doing a lot of things. I think that are. This has nothing to do with Republican or Democrat. We'll talk about another one in a minute. That they're just bad for the economy. And so, um, I don't know. I, I'm. I, it's a little preemptive to think that he's going to be that hard on fracking for all four years. But I think in 60 of the days, we're going to have a lot better picture. What do you think, Josh? Well, I'm, I'm hoping that uh, his ban on fracking on federal lands would be sort of like his ban on uh, masking mandates in federal buildings. Um, do it if you won't. Don't if you don't, <laughs> I, I guess. Uh, don't really it, believe it, it to say it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Here's a question, though. So, I, I mean, this would be one of the things I'm genuinely curious about, being uh, all, all seriousness aside, I mean, all, all joking aside, um, it seems that if, so I think his press secretary, she gives uh, briefings in federal building without a mask on. He went into, I think it was Lincoln Memorial without a mask on. Um, it seems that there are people that can disregard the, the rules without any repercussions. And what I'm wondering is, will there be any loopholes for people Right in the sixty cool. days, and and who who's going to have the loopholes? Who can actually do it? Because uh, Biden and and uh, the administration they very much expect me and you to wear the mask when we're on the federal property. It ain't a oh. joke, then. It's not like we can opt that we have more important no things. How a day it is for us, it doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah, and it, and so for most of the little guys out in the Permian, um, and I say little guys, I mean they're not small companies by any stretch, but they're not tied into the administration. For them, the ban is going to be very real, but I wonder if it'll affect some of these other players as much. And um, I suspect that there's probably uh, some. So kind of now that, that, that's an interesting point. So I think you know. So two things. One is to be clear, it's not stopping work. It's just for the new stuff mm -hmm. that would that we would try to. Um, so it's not like you know working the permit stopping tomorrow or today or yesterday. We're saying that. Um, you got sixty day. We're not going to do anything new. Um, now, that's interesting. They, they, they might do that. That might be right, Josh, is that after 60 days, they come out and say, okay, listen, we're going to open back up the permitting, but here is a long a laundry list of things that you're going to have to um, comply with before you're eligible. And so, um, and so then they've, they've really, you know, kind of goes back to our comments about Exxon, you know, giving campaign donations. You know, someone like Exxon might be able to capitalize, but, you know, someone like, I don't want to say small company name, but, you know, small company here, might not be able to. So yeah, that, that you might see something like that. That's good. That's a good point. I think you might be on yeah. something. And then uh, Exxon released a memo. This is reason. This is reason number 76. Why you send donations to both presidential candidates. Well, I mean, and I think, you know, I mean, you know, I'm going to have the back of anyone who does oil and gas in general, just because it's a good, it's a good thing to be done. But I do think that if we do see a trend like that to where, the little guys effectively cut out 
and it's the big boys who are taking advantage of these um, draconian rules, if you will. Just be prepared. It will no longer be the Texas Guys podcast. If we pound the big pound the big company <laughs> podcast, and, you know, we will be we will be on here railing on those folks on a weekly basis. And you know, the other thing though to keep in mind is that you have that, and so you know you you got to deal with that. And then on the, on the flip side, you have the minimum wage law that's coming yeah. increasing. And I, I don't, you know, so, you know, here's kind of how I thought about the minimum wage. First off, I don't want to get into all the economics of it. Just, just kind of keep it at a, at a high level. Um, to, I want people to get paid as much as humanly possible. So anything I say is in the context of, yeah, I want you to get paid more. So if you're making 10 bucks an hour now and you're like, I want to make 15. Well, okay, great. I, I have no problem with that. So that's not the problem. The question, Josh, is is that you know what percentage of the companies have employees that make seventeen dollars an hour? And I'm picking that number kind of arbitrarily, seventeen, eighteen dollars an hour. What, what percentage of companies, service companies, oil and gas companies, have folks that make seventeen dollars an hour? And here's one. So if you're making seventeen dollars, uh, seventeen dollars an hour right now, okay, um, and let's say that you're being billed out, your service company being billed at fifty-five an hour or forty-five an hour or whatever it is, um, and then the minimum wage goes from was it seven dollars an hour right now? Okay. And it goes up to 15. Okay. So now, you know, Josh is sitting there making 70 bucks an hour and he was making, you know, over two times the minimum wage. And now the minimum wage is 15. Does Josh need a raise? Yeah. Instant question. Yeah. I mean, I mean and, and, and so people talk about the $15, the folks making seven going to 15. Okay. Well, that's, that's, that's fine. Okay. There's economic problems with that. We can talk about, but it's all those folks who were making 17, who were content with 17 because it was a lot more than the minimum wage. There was a large separation just like managers. So you think about a manager who's making, you know, $35 an hour, right? Well, if you move the minimum wage up to $33 an hour, just, just to pick that number, he's not going to be, or she's not going to be like, Oh, well, listen, the minimum wage is 33. And I make 35. Everybody's happy. No, they're like, listen, the minimum wage folks aren't doing what I'm doing. I need to be making more. There needs to be a larger gap between myself and the minimum wage. You might not like the idea. You might think that's cruel. You can think whatever you want to. That's just that's just a facts. This is a facts. People who make substantially above the minimum wage believe that they have earned the right to make that debt difference, right? They're, they're judging their value on the difference between the minimum wage and where they're at. So the closer the minimum wage gets to their salary, the more that they're going to get paid, which means... If you keep your rates the same, the lower your profit margins go down across the board. Now, you might be sitting there going, okay, well, who cares? Who cares? Whatever. Um, you know, less profits. Well, I'm pretty sure that most companies didn't make a lot of money in 2020, especially small guys. So then you're going to charge more for your services to make up the difference. Well, being that, that crude oil is not at $100 a barrel, it's not really a good time to charge more. So this effectively will put the squeeze on small businesses, especially small service companies, to decide, do we pay, do we adjust our rates accordingly, or do we, you know, take take the haircut? And, you know, each company is going to have a, a mix of how many minimum wage employees versus $15 to $20 an employees. And that's really where this is going to impact, right? So if, you, if your company has $30, over, uh, $30 an hour employees predominantly over that, then it's not really impacting you. But if you have a lot of folks between that $7, whatever the minimum wage is now, to $25 range, that's where you're going to see a lot of upper pressure because folks, if you're making seven now and then uh, Josh is making 12 and then I'm making 15, when the minimum wage comes to 15, do you keep that ratio and do you move it all up, right? <laughs> you know, and so those are the things that, that, that have to be dealt with and it just makes stuff more expensive. You, you don't have to like it. It's just how it is. Um, and so anyways, that's kind of well, my thoughts on it. 
So there's there's a couple of things. So I read uh, a book uh, on ec- economics by Thomas Sowell, and he talks about the effects of raising minimum wage. And he's looked at instances where it's been raised in the past. Every time they raise minimum wage, there's a couple of things that happen. Uh, one, unemployment sharply rises, like immediately. And it's a very sharp rise in unemployment. So a lot of the people who are uh, making seven dollars an hour, they they don't have the skills to earn or be worth fifteen dollars an hour. That's the case for some people. So there is a sense of which there is a uh, a basic bottom denominator what that everybody is required to do certain things. But if every, all of a sudden people are being paid fifteen dollars an hour, where the seven dollars was the minimum wage in places like Louisiana. Um, that is gonna that is gonna put a huge hit on the employers, and they're gonna try to find ways to reduce them on employees, which is gonna cause unemployment to go through the roof. And then I think, like you said, they're not gonna be able to if they go in and just charge more for their services. They're gonna, in some sense, have to do that. There's not gonna be any way to go around it. They're gonna have to charge more for their services. Charge more, uh, or not make as much. And and just real quick. People like to say, well, you know, companies don't need to make this much money. Well, we just saw the largest transfer of wealth from the small business to the large business in 2020. Small businesses are depleted right now. So if you're saying to them, hey, we want you to take a haircut, most of them took a bloodbath in 2020. So it's not like they have huge cash reserves on the side. They can take this, they can take this haircut and they can kind of kind of um, you know make it through 2021. That's not a guarantee. And so I think that you know, if we're in a booming economy. I wouldn't be afraid for this either, but you could at least say, well, companies are flush with cash. That's just not true. See, I, I, I got a question. I mean, looking at this from an economic standpoint, just take McDonald's, for example. If McDonald's has to go up to $15 minimum wage, how many employees can they, can they get rid of and still be able to function? That's question number one. If I'm the manager, Okay, how many people can we cut and still have enough to, to go? Because we got to pay everybody fifteen dollars an hour. We don't need two people working the fries. Just one. We only two people flipping the burgers. We just need one. We just need one of these. To keep the prices at what they are. To, right. To have the dollar right. menu. So I, I'm, I'm thinking that they're going to look good. That's one side of it. The other side is going to be, well, if we up our hamburger by two dollars and we sell twenty six hundred hamburgers a day, that will approximately take care of. Um, the increase in minimum wage. So what we need to do in order to take care of the minimum wage is we need to go up by $2 on every hamburger, right? And then if that ends up causing it to even out, you're gonna see that happen across the board in all of these companies, which is then gonna cause inflation to happen so that $15 is essentially gonna be seven within a couple of years, because it's gonna be worth the same amount because mm-hmm. every, all across the all the, the different sectors, everyone's going to go up in their prices to accommodate this required increase of minimum wage. There's no way around that. That has to happen. I mean, that has to happen. Right. And that's the thing. So, you know, if let's just take McDonald's because a great example, McDonald's could, there's a lot of things they could do. They could lower their CEO pay. They could um, re um, they could, you know, reduce their R&D budget. There's a lot of things they could do. And so I think the problem part of this is, is when you look at these big companies like an Exxon, like a McDonald's, like a Walmart, you kind of look at it and you go, oh, wow, okay. And they have a lot of, they have a lot of um, meat to trim on the, off the bone. 
let's just for argument's sake say that that's true. Okay. That, that's, let's, let's just put that aside. That's not the same as Bob, the service company out here, who's, you know, putting down floor mats in the stores or um, the copy machine repair person or, or wherever. That, that's not the same. And so the federal, the, the impact of these laws are not equitable because it doesn't work the same. And most of our listeners are not working or not owning companies who are like Walmart. They're small business people. And so um, I think that's kind of the, the, the thing that's lost is that you can't just presume that the big Fortune 500 companies might can absorb this. And to be quite honest with you, it benefits them more, right? Because Walmart has a huge, or McDonald's has a huge R&D budget they can they can draw down from and pay people more. Not everyone has that, and so again, it's it's a thing that it's, it's it benefits certain folks, um, and it doesn't really hurt any. It doesn't really help anyone because you mentioned it just makes it more expensive. So um, uh, there's a great thing from Reason. Uh, I think it was Reason um, a few years back, and they did a study of folks in New York City doing car washes. And so they kind of go through how the minimum wage impacted. They went from people doing the car wash to people uh, to buying the machines to do car wash and back forth based upon the labor laws and stuff like that. So um, anyways, I think those two things though, Josh, just as we're sitting here today with you know, WTI at 52, those are things that are concerning for the industry is, you know, is Biden, he's canceled Keystone. I think that's done unless there's some kind of you know, some lawyer can email us and explain to us the, the avenues that are possibly there now, but unless there's a path outside of Biden, he's not going to come back on that. I think that's, that's kind of like, that seems to be pretty stone. The, the fracking stuff is concerning, but we still have some time to see. I think you might be right though. That might turn out to be more of a, um, you know, more regulated type deal. And so it, it benefits a few and it ties into the minimum wage, which again will hurt the small companies in our business and our industry. Because if you start again, it's not, it's not the seven to 15 guy you got, you got to think about. It. It's the person making 12, person making 15 already, person making 17, person making 20. All of those people will want raises proportionate to where they were to the minimum wage, right? And so they're all going to- well, The oh. banks are going to want it when the hamburgers cost $2 more. So if you're, I mean, I mean I'm, I'm, I'm serious question if, to a listener. If you're making $16 an hour now and the minimum wage was 15, wouldn't you want an $8 hour, hour raise? Why would you not want that? And I mean, I'm being serious. Why would you not want that? Okay, you want to well, I'm saying like, but why would you not be like, hey, whoa, boss man. <laughs> I was making 16 bucks an hour and that was cool because the minimum wage was seven. And so I kind of felt like my value was here, but if the minimum wage is 15, why am I not making 25, 26, 24, something like that? Well, I think I think the boss man's response is going to be, well, pump the brakes here, Bubba. I'm, I, I'm about to get tore up having to pay these people a lot more money first. Oh, I agree. That's not yeah. well, I'm just saying, but but... But, the, but, the, but even from the perspective of the guys making sixteen dollars an hour, I mean, when the when the inflation starts to happen at the rate that it's going to, the fifteen dollars an hour is going to be like legitimately not near as much money as it was six months ago, because all the prices everywhere in every sector is going to increase. That's going to happen, and if that happens, then the fifteen dollars or the sixteen dollars that he was making is going to feel effectively like ten. And that's unfair because now I don't know, man. That's that's a tough. I hate that for people that are in that situation. Yeah, that's the worst. Yeah. So all I had to say, I think that the, the, that we're looking at the price right now, and saying, okay, price is fifty two. You know how how does this impact service companies who are going to want to go to work for oil and gas companies, and they're going to have tough decisions to make. Again, if you don't have a lot of lower income personnel on your on your staff, it's not going to impact you because the upper mobility of the minimum wage. You know, if you have no one making under 25 bucks an hour, then good for you. But 
you know, this is not going to impact you, but the service companies who do have a lot of lower income earners, um, you know, the $10 an hour, the $12 an hour, the $14 an hour, the $15 an hour, anyone under $20 an hour, they're going to have a tough decision to make. Do they raise their rates? And then in kind, do the oil and gas companies accept the higher rates because they're saying, listen, I get it. Your rates are higher because you need to pay people more, but the price is still $52 a barrel, $55 a barrel, $53 a barrel. Like it's not, it's not great for us. And so we don't want you raising rates because I mean, we're not making a killing here either. So you kind of have this thing to where, how does this balance out over the next, you know, if, if this gets passed the next six months and you could, it could put a squeeze on service companies that just as they're trying to get their feet underneath them, they're concerned now about having to raise the rates is, and this is not a good time to be calling up your clients and say, Hey, uh, you know, we want to raise them rates. All right. Our good friend, Sergio Chapa with Bloomberg has here joining us today. Sergio, uh, great to have you back on the show, man. We got some interesting stuff to talk about today. We got uh, space exploration going on in Texas, it looks like. Yeah. Yeah. Only in Texas could the, uh, you know, uh, the space exploration and oil and gas industry intersect, right? Hey, it's about time. <laughs> hey, we're, we're, we're on the right track now. <laughs> Yeah, that's right. It, 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 it's 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 uh, taking shape in a really interesting way. You've got the billionaire Elon Musk getting into the oil and gas business. The richest guy in the world, right? He still is. Yeah, he? maybe number two. I think it kind of changes day to day between him and Bezos. So when you're, you're three, so when do you expect to pass them? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I don't know. It depends how many. Uh, Amazon packages, Ryan Ray orders, whether it determines the wealth of who's number one or number two. <laughs> you know. Well, or, I just said if, if Elon were to drill in the Barnett, he would obviously be number one. <laughs> like he would take the top spot. It'd be pretty easy. So, right. so what is going on with this story? As he, I mean, obviously I saw a lot, your story getting a lot of traction over the weekend. Uh, but for folks who don't know much about SpaceX, um, or, you know, they kind of hear the name and Elon Musk, maybe unpack what it is they're doing in Texas um, and then how that ties into drilling for natural gas and connect those for us. Sure, sure. Uh, you bet. So everybody knows Elon Musk, this, this, you know, kind of eccentric billionaire, kind of like the a real life Tony Stark, if you will, from the Avengers, you know, Iron Man, um, kind of like entrepreneur and, and, and inventor and whatnot. Everybody knows him from his Teslas, which Ryan, I, I know you've got one and you drive your yeah yeah <laughs> you got two as you go to the burger king to get your impossible burger wow. your vegan leather seats right <laughs> oh my what right. my impossible burger or whatever it's called yeah yeah so anyways anyways elon musk kidding aside though elon musk is, is the uh, is 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 tesla electric vehicles he's solar city solar panels and um you know and he also makes uh you know storage batteries not only for for the solar equipment, but also for the electric vehicles. But he also has this side hustle, if you will, SpaceX and uh, launching rockets into space, satellites, and also people, you know, contracting uh, ferry service for NASA. And where he really stood apart is this concept where, you know, normally when you launch a rocket into space, like you always see the launch photos, it kind of just detaches itself from the space shuttle and just falls into the ocean. And, you know, that's that. And um, so what he came up with, the, Elon Musk came up with the concept where like reusable rockets where, um, you know, they launch and then they kind of like re-land themselves back on the launch pad or, or they're reusable, bringing down the cost significantly for, you know, for space launches. And uh, so back in, I believe it was like 2014 or so, uh, Mr. Musk and, and SpaceX uh, set up a launch site 
Boca Chica, Texas. Um, and that's, that's east of Brownsville, right on the U.S.-Mexico border where the Rio Grande empties into the Gulf of Mexico. And they've got a, a launch site, testing site there. And, um, and late, late last week, um, you know, we broke a story about, uh, about their intentions to drill for natural gas right next to, right down the, excuse me, right down the street from that launch site. And that's, that's rather significant um, uh, story because uh, it was revealed in a railroad commission hearing on Friday morning that, that what SpaceX intends to do is that they intend to use that natural gas they're drilling for for their operations at their at their launch site. So they're gonna just drill it and keep it right there. They're not shipping it off and and what, mm -hmm. so, but it's not it's not for rocket fuel or anything like that. It's for the facility there, I'm guessing. Well, we 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 don't know for a hundred percent sure yet because the company hasn't released details about what it's for. I mean, yes, natural gas is used as as part of you know. As part of the uh, you know fuel for for rockets and other things, um, maybe they're going to use it for heating. Maybe they're going to you know use it for ovens for cooking turkeys, <laughs> but we we really don't know. Um, they haven't really released those those details yet, but definitely it's going to be used for the rocket facility, uh, the rocket launch facilities, and all their operations. Um, but yeah, and, and the idea, you know, in, in what you one of the things that you see with the Elon Musk's other companies like you know Tesla and Solar City is that they've always favored a you know like a vertical integration kind of supply chain situation where, you know, um, like with Solar City, they make their own solar cells and solar panels, and they have their own you know sales team and installation crews and whatnot. And then with with Tesla, the electric vehicles. You know they, they make the vehicles, but they also make the batteries for them, and 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 they make they make everything else. So, so this this kind of follows that logic that, that that's been applied to other companies owned by Musk. So, I mean, having that source of natural gas right there, you know, is is it, it seems it seems to follow the pattern. And then also, um, you know, one of the things that 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 Mr. Musk has talked about in past statements is. Is kind of like kind of like this living off the land approach. Like if, if you're going to Mars, you want to be able to to you know be able to come back, and you have to drill for natural gas or have some type of source of fuel, you know, like nearby. It said that that in situ uh, resource utilization at uh, ISRU, where you're basically just living off the land, and so that's what they're kind of putting into practice there at Boca Chica. They're, they're developing their own natural gas, perhaps getting experience, you know, for what they might do in Mars or beyond. Yeah, so real quick, um, you say, we, we said that they are drilling. Is it actually SpaceX that has uh, bought out a drilling company or are they hiring like, you know, an, uh, some other company come and do it? Did they, are they just paying someone for the, who owns these minerals and stuff like that? Uh, did they release it? Do you know any of those yeah, details? Yeah, no, definitely. Good question too. And uh, I'll tell you what, uh, there's this, there's this uh, affiliate company that SpaceX uh, launched, no pun intended, uh, in June of last year. It was, uh, it, the name of it is Lone Star Mineral Development. And it was created in uh, June, 2020. And what, what it started to do is started to buy up mineral rights in the surrounding area of the launch pad. And um, <clears throat> so, so one, of the, one, of the, one of the properties, it, it, one of the mineral leases, oil leases, oil and gas leases it bought up was one that belonged to Sanchez Energy um, here in Houston. 
And, uh, you know, Sanchez had successfully drilled a well, a natural gas well in the area. And, you know, they, they had it producing for years, but it had, it had been inactive since about 2014 or so. And, uh, but uh, there's kind of a, a little bit of a, of a legal dispute uh, between Lone Star, because uh, Sanchez, um, you know, although, although, although Lone Star bought that 806 acre lease, 24 acres of it sits on another kind of lease, if you will, um, that Sanchez sold to another company in Dallas called Dallas Petroleum Group. And uh, that's, a, that's two wells that sit on 24 acres. So right now, um, Lone Star Mineral Group, the SpaceX company and Dallas Petroleum Group are involved in like, uh, uh, like a dispute in the Railroad Commission, like in the hearings division of the Railroad Commission. So they're trying to suss out, you know, who really owns that at 24 acres. Um, you know, we, there were some aerial photos uh, submitted as evidence at the Railroad Commission hearing for this top, very topic on Friday. And it shows that SpaceX already moved like, you know, like hydraulic fracturing storage tanks, kind of, you know, oil and gas equipment on those acres, 24 acres already. And, um, and, uh, and now they're just trying to determine who has control of those legal control of those 24 acres. Okay. So what's the timetable for that to be resolved, you think? Oh, yeah. Well, um, okay. So the hearing wrapped up on Friday. It'll take like at least two weeks for transcripts to come out. Once after that, you've got time to for the both parties to submit their replies. And then after that, the judge gets 90 days to review. And then it goes, the, the proposed, the proposal goes to the Railroad Commission. And at the next available meeting, the, the three commissioners will vote and issue a, an order regarding what happens. So long story short, it should take about maybe uh, at the minimum three and a half months, maximum, maybe four, five or six mm -hmm. before a decision is known, whether the Railroad Commission weighs in. And then separately, you've got a whole lawsuit out here going on this whole matter with SpaceX. So, you know, before they can even get drilling, you know, they've got to resolve these these legal issues surrounding yeah, their acquisitions. I mean, I mean, it was kind of interesting. You said that, you know, Musk kind of has this idea about living on the land and stuff and, you know, going to Mars. Is there really the thought process that they might take drilling equipment all the way to Mars and try to... <laughs> punch holes in the ground like it seems pretty, like a pretty risky move if you don't know what's there or do they have reason to believe that there are gases under the surface of mars i, I don't follow the mars stuff that closely so i'm curious um you said earlier is that like one of those crazy musk ideas or is it like no he's really serious about drilling, drilling on mars well you know um you know before this came out like a, actually like a couple days before he issued kind of like a like a challenge um uh, i threw it out on twitter a hundred million dollars to someone who could invent a uh, carbon capture and sequestration Excellent. technology. And so now people, there's a lot of speculation on this. Nobody knows for sure, Ryan. I mean, now without talking to him directly. And um, so a lot of people speculate that maybe that carbon capture kind of contest, if you will, is, uh, is, has tied to this natural gas play. Maybe he wants to do clean, green, natural gas development for his rockets and for his facility. Um, or maybe it's tied to what they intend to do out, out there in outer space. Maybe they intend to, uh, I, I've never heard anyone say that, that, uh, that there's natural gas on Mars, but I have heard so CO2. Right. Yeah. That's available. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, so who knows? Um, 
And then other people speculate this could be like a tax credits play too. Yeah, can they just they just revise those laws on the tax credits for carbon capture? So that's that's a good point. Okay. Well, what else from the story, Sergio? It's it's a fascinating thing. It's one of those things that you know when Musk is doing something, he always catches eyeballs, and <laughs> yeah. Uh, and so it's one of those stories. You're like, okay, is this really um, something that we'd be following? Is this kind of a one-off event? Like, okay, they're going to do this, and then it's going to die down, or do you think that no, that we might see Tesla, SpaceX, not Tesla, but SpaceX, Musk, kind of expand their wings into the oil and gas industry because if they are going to try to, you know, go and drill on Mars or, or whatever, or they want to just get cheaper energy, they might continue to, to do this. So any insight on where this, might, this story might go six, eight months from now? No, we're definitely following it closely. And, um, and, you know, I mean, obviously it'll be big news if and when they drill their first wells and put them into production. Um, the aerial photos show that they've brought hydraulic fracturing equipment, you know, to the area. And, um, and so that, that'll be a big event. Um, there was also a, a other media reports that, that, that SpaceX, the same company, Lone Star Mineral Development, they bought two offshore rigs from, from a company named Valeris. Yeah. Absolutely. Remember that? Yeah, you saw that. So the speculation was that, was that they were going to use those and convert them into rocket launch pads out in the Gulf. But I don't know, maybe after this, uh, who knows? Who knows? Who knows what the ultimate game plan is? We the company never commented. Right. When you get Elon on the podcast, we'll hash it all out. Yeah. Um, Maybe he could uh, announce the contest, uh, the $100 million contest. He can announce the contest. Listen, come on. He can come on uh, whenever he wants, talk about whatever he wants. Um, and so that, that's fine with us. Okay. You, well, Sergio, you're going to be a judge, Ryan, on that contest? Yeah. If, if, if Musk is cutting checks, I'm taking them. So, you know, whatever. Yeah. I'll definitely be a recipient. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We're happy to send on the board of advisors. So that's uh, that's fine. Well, Sergio, what other stories might you be working on? I know just so for listeners know that Sergio puts out a lot of stuff. Sometimes it's behind the terminal. So if you don't have a Bloomberg terminal, you don't get to see it. So what stories will be in front or whatever you call it out in the public that folks might be following up on the oil and gas uh, industry the next couple of weeks? Well, definitely keeping an eye on on, uh, market tightness for the LNG industry right now. Um, You know, we're approaching the end of winter, but, you know, in places like Asia and Europe, they still need a lot of, uh, of, of natural gas for heating and power. And uh, that, that's created such, such high costs for shipping. Um, there was a LNG tanker that showed up here at Freeport LNG here in Texas over the weekend. And uh, the, the ship normally services uh, Nigeria LNG. But what happened is out in Africa, but normally they pulled the tanker to over here to send a shipment to Europe because because things are so tight. That's how, that's how tight the market is. They're grabbing every available ship to move every possible available molecule to the other end of the other end of the world. Is, is some of that pressure coming from China's uh, kind of dispute with Australia and how they're not really getting as much coal from them anymore? Is are we seeing some of the ships being diverted to China for stuff like that? Or is it just natural market uh, reactions to weather and temperature and other, other things? I think you see a lot of these cargoes um, going to Japan and South Korea, traditional buyers. There's a lot going to China as well. And then also like high European demand, they've depleted their their storage, um, you know, um, from, uh, I I think that 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 kind of China thing separate is kind of a separate story. I mean, I think they found other sources of coal other than there's that dispute with Australia you're talking about. Right. Yeah, yeah. Oh, they, I, think, so, I think they found other sources. Yeah, they got some from Indonesia, I know, but then there's reports for a while they are in blackouts, and they've got like sixty. They've got like sixty Australian 
tankers or ships out <laughs> at, the, at the port. They won't do anything with them. They're just sitting there. It's crazy. And so um, I know some have been diverted, but the last time I saw it was like 60 or sitting there. So anyways, okay. Well, Sergio, where can folks who are new to the show follow you at? Well, uh, always follow the fun on Twitter at Sergio Chapa, all one word. And then also LinkedIn. LinkedIn is also another little fun spot. All right. Well, Sergio, it was good to get you on again. And uh, congratulations. And hopefully uh, Mr. Musk will come on our show. And when he does, we'll refer him to you. So we're like, hey, okay, listen, we, we need you to help our buddy out. He works with an organization called Bloomberg. I'll, if, if I'll, I'll gladly hold the boom mic for that one, yeah. <laughs> you might heard of him, but Bloomberg, yeah, if we could go help him out. He'd gain some views. So. Right. right. <laughs> well, Sergio, it was good to talk to you as always. And this was, again, for folks who don't know, last minute. So thank you for hopping on on short notice. We appreciate oh, it. Oh, not a problem. Not a problem at all. Anytime. Well, thanks again for Sergio joining us on the show. Uh, very interesting stuff there, Ryan. I hadn't. I hadn't considered that uh, some of the drilling may be uh, future oriented uh, for other locations. That's uh, that's interesting. Yeah, and, no, and, I, um, that's I agree. That's interesting. I, I wouldn't have thought that either. So, yeah, fascinating stuff. So uh, for the Texas Roundup, we only have I only have one uh, comment today, uh, and that is BP uh, slashed his size of exploration team and low carbon transition plan we've talked a little bit about what bp has been doing a lot of people are slashing the size of their exploration teams right now just due to costs uh so it'd be interesting to see um we'll, we'll link the show uh the show in the show notes but uh it'd be interesting to see if oil hits you know 75 dollars a barrel if the size of their exploration team stays small or if they increase That'll be the really the, the proof of being the pudding at that point about what uh, what what they're doing. But uh, interesting to see they're they're they are acting as though this is going to be the way they're going to continue to move in the future. And Ryan, that reminds me of something. So this would be completely unrelated to anything Sergio said. Just more so my take. Um, how would you feel if someone like Musk and SpaceX, who've been incredibly against oil and gas industry, it seemed to me, at least on the face of it, um, ends up getting a huge foothold in the oil and gas industry because of some of the negative press that they get from <laughs> companies like them, yeah. causing the prices to go low and getting a harder time. And so companies like Tesla or SpaceX getting a foothold into the oil and gas industry. Um, it's interesting because I don't know what Musk stands on oil and gas in, historically has been. I know he's tried I know he's mad about the Paris Climate Accords when Trump left. I remember that. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know what he's, um, what his stance on oil and gas in general is. But Musk is interesting because it's hard to know if Musk really believes stuff or if he just kind of goes where the wind goes, you know. And so, um, you know, is Musk really a libertarian type, classical liberal type, or is he just mad that Tesla was getting shut down because he's taking ton of government money? So it's not like he's. Um, opposed to the government just wasting money on his company because they've wasted a gazillion dollars on Tesla over the years and his company hasn't made money a lot. So it's hard to tell what he really believes versus if he's just opportunistic. I don't really care the way I'm just saying that. I'm, I have a hard time kind of reading reading um, where he comes in on issues. And so, but let's just be honest here. To your point, you know, it would be the first time that someone, listen, Exxon, we talked about them. You know, here they are supporting biden biden's putting out regulations that will impact the industry and they'll probably benefit from it right mm -hmm. so we got folks in our own industry that do it much less uh, 
So I uh, I don't think Musk can get too big of a foothold, but um, I don't know. Well, yeah, I agree. I agree. Yeah, and and um, you know, we had a pretty good shot to get him until this little last segment. Uh, we had a good shot to get him on the show, but well, Elon, Elon, you can come on the show anytime. We'll Nothing but softballs. No, number softballs, baby. Number softballs. Number softballs. And so, uh, we get me. I tell you what, we will get Elon, me, you, Rogan, in Austin, and we'll just do a big show. We'll we'll give Ro- Rogan needs some numbers. We'll help him out. Tell him some <laughs> Elon needs some press. We'll give him. Some, you know, so we'll help everybody out. So uh, that's just how we'll do it. So, well, listeners, y'all set it up. Yeah, tag Elon in this episode, and uh, let's get it done. To everyone, thank you so much for tuning in. And until next time, keep. Climbing.